Hey, everybody. Welcome to Roger and Me, a.k.a. Roger Ebert and Me, a Siskel and Ebert tribute podcast in which me, Brett Arnold, a.k.a. Brett Redacted, on Twitter.com, if that website still exists when you're listening to this, and uh, Mark Dusick of MarkReviewsMovies.com, at MarkReviews on Twitter. I'm not going to waste everybody's time and list all of our alternate handles on the 14 Twitter clones that were created this week. I'm really putting this episode in a time capsule and setting it in the week of July 7th, 2023, where we are talking about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies, including a special early sneak preview of a big release out next week. That's right. We're talking about Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. How many colons can a movie have in the title? Uh, we're, do- we're trying to break the record. We're going to talk about the new Tom Cruise stunt show. That is Mission Impossible. We're, of course, going to talk about Insidious, The Red Door, which is the biggest release this week. Uh, I don't know. Actually, I have to put an asterisk by biggest release this week because on July 4th, Sound of Freedom was released and it beat everything at the box office. It was number one at the box office. Fuck off Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones. Jim Caviezel and Tim Ballard are here to stay. These are the heroes of American cinema. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about Joyride. Uh, we're going to talk about some indies you haven't heard of. We're going to talk about a documentary about baseball. We're going to talk about a Netflix original comedy starring Adam Devine. Mark, what's up? Uh, not much. I am still holding out on Twitter. I don't know why at this point, but I'm trying to. I'm hoping. It's just, it's just out of habit. We've been it here is. so long. It is. Yeah, that's all it is. It's out of habit. I don't feel like trying any of the other ones i'm hearing horror stories about some of the other ones i'm like no i'm okay yeah we're all we all put we everybody on twitter the feeling is we all put our chips all in on twitter a long time ago yeah and we the the instagram ship sailed and we said bye see you later i'm not even on there and now they're like if you want to get on this new one you gotta have instagram and i'm like i can't i can't handle this i can't handle being on all these social media uh, if you need me, you can always email the pod, rogerandmepod at gmail.com. I haven't explained the show. I did the basic intro and said we're a Siskel and Ebert tribute. If you don't know what that is, it was one of the original movie review podcasts, I like to say, which is such a damning description of what Siskel and Ebert was. It was a weekly movie review show in which two iconic people, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, reviewed movies in a weekly televised format. We aim to just do that also. That show doesn't exist anymore. So we aim to keep the spirit of it alive by doing this show. We are not affiliated with the Roger Ebert brand. I should say that more often, probably. We are just using the name because we respect the man. And I think it shows what the show is. I think it definitely described the show better when we were doing the rewatches of old Siskel and Ebert shows and talking about the old movies. It really fit then. But who has the time to do all that? So instead, we devote our time to all the new releases that come out every Friday in theaters and on streaming, like Netflix. Uh, let's start with the the major release of the week, I guess, is which, which is Insidious, the, the Red Door. Insidious 5, the first to be directed by the franchise star, Patrick Wilson. It is his directorial debut. He also does... A song over the end credits, if you can believe. I was wondering about that when I was walking out. I'm like, is that Patrick Wilson singing on the... Okay. The answer is yes. Yeah, it appears to be the season of having your cast sing the song over the end credits. Uh, Book Club 2 
also had this. And I'm pretty sure there was one more, but I can't think of it. Uh, so we'll go right to the trailer for Insidious, The Red Door. It's not the house that's haunted. It's your son. There's something in there with him. There's something wrong with Daddy. And these things are bad. He's got you. Don't turn. He's got you. Our family has been through a lot together. You told me that when I was 10. I was in a coma, but I don't remember being sick. We're ready to forget. Forget. Ever since then, I see crazy stuff in my dreams. Those are not dreams. It's happening again. Something is following us. I'm going to need you to remain still. Mark, you just returned from seeing this movie mere hours ago. It's fresh in your mind. I'll let you start. I'll let you start, but I want to asterisk it with you don't like this franchise, do you? I don't care for this franchise. <laughs> and um, I think three is okay. It doesn't it's the best ever, one. I agree that three one. is the best one. Yes. It, it still doesn't Lee, come together. Lee Winnell directorial debut for those yeah. unaware. Yes. And that's and that's mainly why it is the best one, because I think he has the steadiest hand of all of the directors in this franchise, including, unfortunately, Patrick Wilson, who has the unfortunate task of making his directorial debut with material that yeah. ran out of ideas, arguably maybe in the first movie, but definitely Oof. in the fourth movie. Um, yeah, so it picks up nine years after the events of Insidious 2. Because as everybody knows, Insidious 3 and 4 were prequels. Everybody so this, knows this. Everybody, yes. well, this is the thing. This is the thing about this movie. Anyone who's watching this movie will have seen the previous movies. This movie makes the big gamble of saying, pretend that you haven't seen any of those movies, even though the only reason you're here is because you saw the previous movies. Because the whole thing is, uh, Patrick Wilson's character and his son, played by Ty Simpkins, uh, yeah. have been hypnotized to forget everything that happened to them in the first two movies. And now... Obviously. 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 And clearly this plan worked, be, is going to work, because it failed <laughs> before with Patrick Wilson's character. I, I, I don't know if there were advances in hypnosis technology or something that now they think it's going to work. But guess what? It doesn't work. The two of them start to remember, oh, wait, there are some weird things going on, and I don't know what they are. But we as an audience know exactly what's going on. And so it's like it's just telling us to act as if we don't know what's happening because the characters are walking around not knowing what's happening. And they do a lot yep. of aimless wandering around, learning about the things that we already know. And occasionally they're interrupted by a jump scare or something. It becomes so routine in a series that is already routine. Yeah, it also has what I wrote down a couple times. It has a le let's call it a leisurely pace to this movie. It is very slow. Scenes seem to like kind of just linger longer than they should uh, the whole time. Right from the beginning, you're just kind of like, why is this? Can we move this along? Like this movie is an hour 47 or something. And it feels like it just is a few really easy cuts away from an 85 to 90 minute movie that it probably should be. Um I don't want to be too down on it only because I like this franchise and I didn't hate this movie, but I was definitely let down by this movie.
because one of the things I like about this franchise or at, at the start, what I liked about these movies is that I used to praise them for daring to not be about anything other than these are a spooky good time at the movies. It's a haunted house movie. Uh, have a good time. Let me do some jump scares and really get you with some fun set pieces or a music cue or whatever it is. You're going to get all that and you're going to go home and you're going to be satisfied. I appreciated that it wasn't like every other horror flick that's like a labored metaphor about inherited trauma. And then what do we get here, Mark? Um, I would, I mean, here's the thing. I would argue this one definitely doesn't labor the metaphor. The metaphors are there. They don't do anything with them, though. But you're yeah. right. There is stuff about grief and trauma in here, once again. Yeah. Um, yeah because, it just feels like yeah. it. this franchise once stood out to me at one point. Maybe you disagree. But, like, I feel like it was different because it was goofy. Like, it has, like, the spectral sightings guys, like, Specs and Angus or whatever his name is, I think. And like it has this goofy element that feels comic, but it has Lynn Shay, this like horror person. You know, I'm gonna say horror icon. I want to use horror icon too lightly. I think Lynn Shay is very awesome, and it was so cool to see her in the lead in these movies. That was a big part of it. So yeah, I just think like there's maybe a miscalculation of why people like these movies because like was anyone like, oh great, the Lambert family is back at the in, in the insidious movies like i've kind of felt that way and i'm just like because i'm a fan of these movies but i don't know how many people there are out there who feel that passionately I, um yeah and patrick wilson as a director there's a couple inspired moments and sequences the mri one in the trailer that's actually a really cool scare sequence but like that's kind of it as far as like effective set pc scares go um there's actually uh the movie's about you know Dalton from the first movie, all grown up now, going to college. And I think they do, or I guess this is a, a compliment, and then I'm gonna knock it down with a with a with a complaint. So I think it's really cool the setup, Mark. Do you agree? For the ghost in a frat house situation. I think the setup for what that is is so awesome. And the first time you see that puking ghost, I'll call it, I thought it was genuinely unnerving and so scary. And then the movie, I think it was going for a for a laugh at the end of that scene. I can't tell if it was. I can't tell if it was either. And that's like a good, you know, good indication that you're working with a first time director who doesn't really know what <laughs> having control over the movie or the tone. Because that scene was so effective. I was like, wow, they're mining the hazing death of a frat guy. Like, this is so fucked up in a unique, it's uniquely insidious way, I thought. And then completely under undercut by like a puke gag where I'm like, you were just like, you know, you're building me up to this actual scary suspense thing. And then you just undercut it completely. And yeah, like, I, yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, but I think the buildup to that scene, at least the setup to it works, but then there is that weird thing you were talking about, like the pacing of it. There's some weird pacing just within the scare sequences too, because that whole thing revolves around him being under a bed much longer than he needs to be. The only justification yeah. for him being under the bed is that that scare has to happen in that specific way or it doesn't work. Well, and I didn't buy those, that part of it. That's another problem with this. It's that it also feels like Patrick Wilson has like a very limited bag of tricks, which I, and these movies are all about bags of tricks. Like that's why the one movie, the ones worked. That's why the Winnell one worked. And I actually thought the Adam Robitel one was interesting. And I don't want to harp on thinking the last key is good and alienate anybody else because I think it's, it was the weakest one until this one. 
and Wilson, I feel like early on he has this thing where it's like, you know, a scary thing in the background that doesn't call attention to itself at all. And it's just there and lingering. And the first time I saw it, I was like kind of giddy. I was like, cool. He's he's already got me looking where I'm, you know, looking in the frame, not in the in the background, not the foreground, like very interesting. And then like he proceeds to do that what four more times in the movie. It's just like there's not there's not a very like there's not even I say there's not set pieces. There's also not like a varied amount of scare sequences, just basic jump scares. It's all kind of the same thing repeated over and over, is it not? It is. And you're right. That opening, it's not an opening scene, but that scene is at the funeral. He's sitting in the car and you see this thing in the, in the rear view window. And you're yeah. like, what is that thing? Is that actually a thing that's there? And eventually you realize, oh yes, there is something moving towards the car and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. But yeah, the rest of the movie is that. And sometimes there's a scare when you expect it to be. And sometimes there's nothing. There's one um, in the, in a dorm room that the timing got me. Like he, it just happens yes. out of the blue yes. and that got me. That's, I don't know if that's a good jump scare or not, but it got me. There's a couple he of plays with the timing. Yeah. yeah. Playing with the timing is a good way to do this. And Wilson, at least I think knows to do that. And I, he clearly has some understanding of like what a suspense sequence is supposed to look like. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because I, I, I really think it's the material. I think the material lets him down. It's really too bad that this is what he's, chosen to be his directorial debut because i like him as an actor i think he's oh, really i think good he's a great actor. actor yeah um and i i was really hoping like you know it, actors turning to directors always it's it's usually a good call because they know how to you yeah know, time things they can understand performance but you're right actors need to do and the problem is like the stilted script that they have to deliver like that's yeah. the more of the issue i think you're right than like the direction so i don't want to put too much on patrick wilson you're right the material does let him down it's just, it has that quality. I feel like I had this problem with Boogeyman too, where it's like in Boogeyman, they really use like the lack of score and music to like make you feel dread. And here it just feels like scenes just lingering for longer <laughs> yes. than they should. Yeah. With like, there's no music, there's nothing going on here. Why Patrick Wilson just sitting in the car? Like, why is this still happening? Um, yeah. And this movie just piles on, like, in addition to like the metaphor, like, the meta, like it's it's a it's a movie that's trying really hard to be about like fathers and sons and and inheriting and trying to be better than your dad but inheriting kind of the same problems and ignoring things there's definitely metaphor uh, stuff going on that like is about like how you should go to therapy if you're mentally foggy i feel like there's like all this stuff that's like vague you know because it's the insidious movies and it's about the further but like i feel like it's really trying to say stuff and be like yeah, this is about how middle-aged dads are foggy and like lost in their own minds and don't go to therapy and just kind of stand there and let life happen to them. Like, and I like it on that level. It's just the movie. I'd be lying if I said I was like thrilled by it. It is a very slow, dull movie. And I don't think you can accuse any of the other ones of being dull. This one is definitely different than the rest of the movies. It doesn't have, I mean, Specs and Angus, spoiler alert, I guess. I mean, like the, the astral guys have a cameo and like Elise maybe appears, but is not really a focal point of the movie. Like it just isn't what I want necessarily out of the insidious movies. And like this really intense emotional closure for the Lambert family, the drama just like doesn't hit right. 
And I don't know. I don't know why. I think it's like just because the script is kind of lame. I think. Well, right. A big part of that is because you know the other characters who aren't <laughs> um, the father and son are in the background. Rose Byrne is a glorified uh, cameo in this. I know. Um, yeah. The other kid. He the gets the Mira brother, Sorvino in Sound of Freedom treatment. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, the the younger brother is on the phone a couple times with the older oh, brother, and, and that's you it. know it's the younger brother because he says, "Hey, younger brother." <laughs> hey, little brother. Hey, little brother. And the sister is at the funeral, and I think that's it. Well, I that's in that's tradition it. with this franchise. Jesse and I recently yeah. covered them on the New Flesh podcast, oh, okay. and it's hilarious in the first movie how there's like three kids, and at one point they're just like the other kids disappear. <laughs> they're just like gone from the movie. Um, I mean, imagine all the yeah. stuff that the the rest of the family has to go through. These these two have subconscious memories of the most horrifying things you could imagine, and yeah. the other family members have to pretend like nothing happened. Yeah, like, like and they have nightmares. It's set up like that the that the two boys have nightmares about the things that happened to them yeah. when they were kids, and you know, like how do you ex- how do you be a mother trying to explain that away on your own? And yeah. your husband can't do anything, can't say anything because he doesn't remember it either. That would be an interesting angle to cover. And also, no. as we're talking about it, I realize how similar to Hereditary it is, which is like perfect for what I'm accusing this movie of being, which is like just like any every other modern horror movie that is inspired by Hereditary type elevated horror and that is trying to be about something. Um, I just think there's one element we haven't even discussed, which is like the red door. And um, the fact that um, finally they sent one of those kids in a horror movie who does creepy drawings. He gets to go to art school and see see his creepy drawings through. Um, the art school scenes are like laugh out loud, pretty bad. Yes, like hilarious the stuff. Yeah, the teachers, the, her her syllabus is like specifically catered to unlock these kind of traumas. Yes. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. It's like the most triggering thing. Like, uh, the, she does the exact countdown that would get him into the further yeah. that he doesn't remember. Like, fall into the further. Not ten, nine. She and- literally says further. And yes. further yes. over and over yep. again like okay yeah we get it yeah get i don't it. know i'm all for the movie being silly and hokey it just doesn't it doesn't deliver the scares you wanted to and it doesn't build suspense the way you wanted to it just kind of feels perfunctory in ways that these movies haven't um so i think it stands out from the franchise in that way so as a franchise fan who likes all of them literally all of them uh this is my least favorite it's definitely the fifth best insidious movie and I have to dane it with a two, two red doors out of four. Ooh, yikes! Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of this series. I thought the last one was going to be the laziest the series could get. This one surprised no, me at you least. Know what? This is the laziest one. I Do you yeah. remember the third one or that that one very well? The last one, 2018, because like I rewatched it recently, and th- that one at least compared to this, it has like a, a story twist element to it where like you think there's a ghost story happening but it ends up being more of a true crime story yes i and, like yeah i do remember that part there's like interesting stuff going on that i want to commend that one for because this one doesn't have anything really going for yeah it, I, I mean say. we both yeah. agree on that part this is yeah. definitely <laughs> definitely the least imaginative least effective one of all of them i give it one star one, one star and what's your highest rating on one of these like two two and a half two and a half I gave three, two and a half. Uh, Oh, Oh, no. I gave, if we want to go through it, I gave one and two, one and a half stars. And I gave three, two and a half. And I gave four, one. So I'm not a big. Did you also dislike the conjurings or do you like those? I really like conjuring and conjuring two. 
Intru- yeah, Conjuring 3 is no good. Um, no. We, I think we can all agree. The Devil Made Me Do It is no good. But no, there's there's also three Annabelle movies, and I like one of those. Uh, the, the middle one. one. Yeah. yeah, Creation. Yeah, that one. Great I like one. that one. Too. It's a great yep. one. Uh, yep. Annabelle Comes Home feels like it should be fun, but isn't. And it feels like they're just trying to introduce a thousand more spinoffs, which they haven't yeah. done. Uh, it feels the, like The Conjuring 4, if I yep. remember correctly. Yeah. And then The Nun 2 is coming out soon. Uh, so we'll check that out. Uh, that was... Uh, that was uh, Insidious, The Red Door, in theaters now, directed by Patrick Wilson. I think this may be the end of the Insidious. For- oh, actually, it's not. Did you know that there's a spinoff already coming that it's called Thread, an Insidious Tale? And if I gave you a million guesses, you'd never guess the, co- the co-leads because it is Kumail Nanjiani and Mandy Moore. They're, they're the lead couple. Oh, okay. Okay, there we go. I'm, in, I'm, I'm on board. And Mark is sitting there like, God damn it, another fucking insidious movie. I mean, hey, yeah, at least we'll they're switching out. it up, right? Yeah, they're going to switch it up. There we go. Let's, there you go. let's hope for it. I thought it was going to, I thought they'd wait like six years or so, apparently. No, not. they, oh, well. I was surprised because I do this, I do horror news on the other podcast every week. And it was right like a couple, a few weeks ago, they announced, hey, insidious, there's another one, like on the heels of this one. I feel like they do that when they're either confident in something or, worried about something and trying to get people excited about it again <laughs> so uh, we have no idea how this movie is going to open we'll find yeah because yeah. we also will find out if um that movie has already been funded enough like it has the budget all set aside because if they're counting on any of this movie's revenue being part of it um i don't know we'll i don't out. i feel like it's projected to do like 25 which i was surprised to see uh so we'll see if it makes it to that okay. to that landmark um but a movie that's having no problem making money is a is one that's been on the shelf since 2018 if you can believe it. Did you know there's like this weird 20th Century Fox history with this movie? I read up a little bit about yeah. that because of the special message at the end, which I assume we're going to talk about. Oh, sure. Yeah, we'll I, talk about I it I read all. a little bit about this. Um, a little confounded by Mark's response to this movie, but we're going to get into it. it. Don't be sorry. It's, it's great. It leads to good podcast, I hope. Here is Sound of Freedom, the trailer. How'd that make you feel? Giving a child his freedom. Tell good. You have been at this for 12 years. My country tis of thee. Why are you doing it? Because God's children are not for sale. It is the fastest growing international crime network that the world has ever seen. For Homeland Security, you know we can't go off rescuing Honduran kids in Colombia. This job tears you to pieces. And, and this is my one. Who boy. Laying trailer, it on, uh, that trailer lays it on, yeah. Lays it on thick is what I was going to say, so I'm glad yeah. you said it. Um, I'll Ooh. let Mark intro what the movie is and yeah I'll, I'll i'll just let's start there oh boy do i have to okay <laughs> there's a lot of baggage with this movie there is I, but I'm we can talk to, about that after we're gonna get to the baggage we will get to the baggage because what i focused on watching it because the movie doesn't bring up that baggage directly in any way it, the movie until it, it's yeah. it yes it's worth discussing the baggage because it's very it, it, it's part and parcel <laughs> use yeah. more metaphors and stuff with the movie but they're smart enough to like keep 
all the craziness out of the actual movie. I agree with what you're saying. Like yeah. a lot of it, you have to like bring into it w- your knowledge of things. Correct. I'll until, put my microphone down now. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just going to say until that special message, which we will definitely get to, Yikes. reminds you very directly of a lot of the baggage that this movie carries with it. Yikes. Forgetting that. This is based on a true story, as much as these things can be based on true stories, about Tim Ballard, who was a uh, an agent for Homeland Security who worked in um, internet crimes against children, a lot of it being exploitation and sexual abuse. And he realizes after this one case that the effort of just arresting perpetrators who do those crimes isn't actually leading to the results of rescuing children. A lot of these kids are from other countries and they are lost in all of the work and they're not even in the United States a lot of the times. Um, And the ones that are in the United States, I mean, he has no say over what happens to them after that. And so he becomes, you know, he's he's done with it because he's not making an effort. It's not doing the work isn't paying off in a way he finds satisfying or worthwhile. And so he goes off on a rogue mission, essentially, to Colombia to try to rescue the older sister of this young boy that he rescues from somebody um, who has, you know, trafficked this child into the United States. And that's the story. Um, and I found it effective as a thriller, primarily because it does deal with some weighty issues of um, unintentionally a lot of times about how these tactics are and if they actually do work. Uh, it has some good performances. I'm going to just out front say I think Jim Caviezel is very, very good here. I know that and this is where we're getting with the baggage, but he is very good here. There are There's a lot going on with this character and he plays it very well. It also has Bill Camp, who's a great character actor, um, and he has another really good lived-in performance as this guy who is in Columbia and orchestrating these different sting operations to try to rescue children. There's a lot of moral conundrums at play when those scenes are, it's not just about like shooting and, you know, doing all that stuff. It's like there are kids in peril and how do you weigh the, the measure of possibly letting a child be hurt versus abduct, um, capturing all these people who are orchestrating that trafficking. I found it, I found it engaging as a thriller and I think it's going to open up a lot of discussions and I hope a lot of those discussions are in good faith. Um, I don't think many of them are. Yeah. From, you're just, I was say, you're just like, you're, it's a naive view that like, it is. Yeah. No, no, yeah. I agree. With, I, okay. I am, I'm saying that to myself. I really hope that we can have some good faith discussions about actual human trafficking, especially when it involves kids, Yeah, how we can stop that and how, whether or not these tactics are actually effective at doing what they set out to do, which is yes. to ensure that kids are safe um, from this. Yeah. And if they have experienced something this horrifying and horrific and evil, that they are given the proper treatment psychological and health wise afterwards. Um, so yeah, that's our, I think it's, I think it works as a thriller with a message that is, you know, very simplified but that could open up a conversation that I think we do need to be having. And if this is the way to do it, so be it. I mean, that's, that's where I'm at with it. That's fine. And now take me down. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to be mean or anything. I don't, I know. I agree. It's not like the most of like you watch probably more of what would you call this kind of movie? Like right wing Christian cinema, like Christian conservative cinema or like faith-based whatever you call it there's definitely like that type of element to it and i think if you're judging it on like the plane if the bar is like that kind of movie like this does look more like a real movie than like 
a Jesus Revolution. A Jesus Revolution is another one that actually looks more like a real movie than a lot of them. But like, there's a lot of them that you know look like crappy productions, and this looks like a real movie. But I just don't agree that like. First of all, I don't think Caviezel's performance is good at all. I think he's so weird and bizarre, and it's a strange performance that changes pitch a bunch of times. I did not think it was a good performance, and I just don't think it's very effective at being a thriller. It obviously wants to be this like actiony movie about this type of stuff, but it doesn't want to. It wants to do that, but it, it also wants to be the like Jesus messagey movie about God, and it also is really like you could talk about the fact that it's you know QAnon bait and it's like the movie splitting the difference between QAnon bait and regular Christian cinema and if you don't know what I'm talking about like god bless you I, I love that and I'm glad you have no idea what QAnon means or what the implication of like a movie about child trafficking coming out now it's it's like tangled up in this shit that is I can't even. We're a movie podcast. I don't need to get into like right wing politics and how these like you know misleading, sensationalized grifts are what keeps the money flowing in. But like all the talk about child trafficking that went viral, no matter how well meaning, it leads to a lot of like moms on Facebook reading misinformation and believing that their kids are in danger, and it's just like misleading sensationalized garbage and like this movie all it's doing is aiding that message and making it um making more people scared that probably don't need to be because the stats that they bring up which this movie is just kind of an exposition machine for stats not all of them are hold up to scrutiny and you can read a lot about this character tim ballard who is a real life guy who definitely i'm not saying he's a bad dude even like i think he does care about this stuff and he does have the credentials. He's done the work. He was, you know, his government credentials are real. He does all the stuff he says he does. What's, you know, you could argue, I think you're right. Like the ethics of what he's doing for, in good faith. Like, do you know about like, you know, there's actual YouTube raid footage in this at the end. And like, that's what they used to do. You know, they used to like post this stuff online because like right wing military fanatics like like to watch videos of this shit and like it's fine like if they're i think there's an it's an interesting ethical argument to be had about that and like if it's actual criminals being held accountable who cares if they're filming it that's great um but there's a lot of groups that say what they're doing is actually harmful to the trafficking or uh stuff uh, at large because they're not actually targeting the system that allows for this stuff to happen they're just kind of pretending to be pedophiles and perpetuating it until the end point and then saving like a small amount of people so it's just like you could argue about the technique and all that stuff and that's a whole other political argument but like the issue with this movie i think is you could sum up with the message from jim caviezel at the end and the qr code that's like you just saw this very important film that literally could be the 21st century or whatever he says, the uncle Tom's cabin of 2023 to talk about uh, human slavery. And that's another thing about the right wing talking point is they use it to like make it seem like there's worse slavery now than there was when we enslaved black people. There's a lot of race impl implications. There's just a lot of like right wing sanding off the edges of fact to get a, a message that a lot of people will inherently get behind because if someone's against the child trafficking movie they're gonna go what are you a child trafficker and like that's what they do and 
I'm mortified to talk about this on a podcast because I'm going. I know. I mean, I agree with you because we went through this with Nefarious. Yeah. Another very, but that was all very overtly, you know, yeah. turned out to be actual Christo fascist propaganda. <laughs> and, and I regret reviewing that, to be honest, because yeah. the, the guy who the guy who wrote the book that it's based on literally said, yeah, it's supposed to be like Christo, fa- Christo fascist propaganda. Like, what? The, why did you yeah. fool me into thinking this is a horror movie? This is nothing like that. I'm just bringing this up. That yes, this you're right. Does happen. So it's it, just that to me, it's like disingenuous, right? It's like you're using child, child sex trafficking as a sensationalized thing. And they do. They talk about like kids are getting raped 10, 20, 30 times a day. And it's just like these horrific stats that are not verifiable or made up that sounds terrifying and scares people into throwing money at the shit but like the qr code at the end of this movie tells you to buy tickets for other people to see this movie to spread the message i think if they cared about the message maybe the qr code would lead you to donate to actual trafficking organizations or something yeah, yeah. but like it's just it's just i can't just dis- i can't differentiate or you know disassociate this movie from the like m- political machine behind it and like the uh, the company that made it that like makes these kind of movies it's just like a targeted thing like yeah they want your your christian grandma to see this and feel scared and like it it kind of bums me out that it is effective like that's like if it is better than the other ones that's like concerning for me because it's like propaganda mm, okay. but yeah, like I get you. It, it it's more it's also like the sex trafficking is only you know mexican cartels and uh, people in the U.S. are only brought up because they buy these children, which if you follow, you know, you have to log off to get to the QAnon stuff because the movie doesn't get into it. But if you follow this thread, including from the star of this movie, who believes all this crazy QAnon insanity, like if you follow that thread, it leads you to the like they're eating Democrat uh, Hillary Clinton's eating child, uh, killing children for their adrenochrome. Like you are going like to the full ranks of crazy. And yeah, like, this is just like a stepping stone to that. And yeah. it's, that's why I think a lot of people are against it if they are, or just why it's a problem. It's also, you know, it's just the, it's the specific, you know, this is a movie about reuniting like non-American children, like Brown children, stolen children with their families and the people who made this movie and the whole Christian right-wing movement supported gleefully separating immigrant families at the u.s border and not realizing that like u.s border crises not letting refugees in is what leads these kids to be fucking sex trafficked yeah there are a lot of yeah there's a yeah yeah, this is well again (laughs) when i said good faith conversation this is what i'm talking about we can't just leave it at oh the kids are in trouble let's save the kids like there are a lot of other yeah. socioeconomic issues at play here yes. there are border policy issues at play here yes. if we're gonna seriously talk about this stuff yes. and what causes it and how to stop it we yeah. need to have those conversations but hey too. if we're having the conversation i hear you that's like i agree win. yeah and so, that's where i'm at that's where yeah, i'm at with it that's I think it fine works, and you, i think i i'm gonna take from what you said that it, it, you said it was effective yeah <laughs> as a movie and that's where i'm at with it and i'm just hoping I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that whole thing with Jim Caviezel's special message and kind of suggesting that there's this 
grand conspiracy that kept this movie out of theaters since 2018 instead of just the fact that like there was a merger like, with the yeah, company disney that owned bought, it disney bought um, your company and didn't want to release this i think that's there reasonable was, <laughs> there was a global pandemic that happened and kind of yes. stopped the movie industry for a couple years there were a lot of things at play but this whole like grand conspiracy angle really was like oh boy that sets off some alarm bells so that's it's a the, we both can definitely agree that special message at the end terrible way to end this movie yeah that i think is yeah. trying to do something beyond all of that and just tell a really compelling story and as a thriller and to get you thinking about stuff yeah really bad move really bad move to end it that way yeah yeah for sure and i i wish i could i mean i said effective because Again, my bar yeah, I know, I is like yeah, Christian movies that are usually just like unwatchable. This is a watchable movie, yeah. but like it also has like bad pacing and bad editing and like it's too long. And I it was a very long two hours and 10 minutes. I just I don't I wish I saw the the better movie in there because I would at least I w- understand that a lot of people like this. And I I'm still just like, yeah, it feels like a law and order thing. Like, it just feels like it could have been a 60 minute thing and they made it a two hour, 10 minute thing. And, you know, we could talk about the casting of Jim Caviezel and what that means as like a right wing thing because he's a Jesus. He played Jesus literally in a movie famously. And this, this they definitely give this guy like a like a hero, weird hero complex. Uh, and it's just it gets all complicated when you read the actual facts about things. Um, so that's that's what I'll say. It is not the most dubious based on a true story this year thanks to flame and hot the movie yeah <laughs> but <laughs> it's uh it's definitely a dubious true story we'll, we'll leave it there i'm i think i'm one and a half out of four on oh dang sound okay. of freedom but two I'm, out of five if that yeah, makes you there feel you go better. <laughs> no not really i'm a i'm a i'm a like b minus c three stars i'm like low end three stars in this so it's a i love it keeping things interesting there we go. keeping things interesting um all right let's jump right to the next movie which we both agree on unfortunately is uh joyride a movie that i wish i could be here to tell you is a fun very funny movie but honestly i was i was ready for a very funny movie and i was pretty disappointed with it let's watch the trailer hi you guys must be new to town right new to town but not new to the country we just moved from california oh we just wondered uh if if you wouldn't mind if your, your daughter played with our daughter. Audrey, say hi. You want to play Sly? Mm-hmm. Slides off limits to Ching Chongs. <gasps> Fuck you. <laughs> Do you want to be best friends? Look at me, look at me, look at me now. Guess who's going back to the motherland? It's a big deal. Going to your birth country. We used to talk about it all the time when we were little, remember? Grand adventure to find your birth mother. So proud of you. <laughs> Be my translator in Beijing. Audrey, I got you. <laughs> That's a good showcase of the humor in the movie. And not to be some sort of scold. I would have loved this to be funny. I love a raunchy comedy. But so much of this is just like jokes that fell so fucking flat in the room. Uh, and it just doesn't have enough. Like, I don't know. Say this movie has 150 jokes in it. I think like 15 of them made me laugh. It just has a really bad ratio in terms of jokes that hit versus jokes that don't. Maybe Mark can be more eloquent about why this movie doesn't work. What's Uh, wrong with Joyride? Maybe I can. I don't know. It feels as if 
a lot of the jokes are telegraphed a little too much yes. for one thing there's um it's the less thing- their jokes and more the idea that like the idea that a joke could be there like exactly. in that trailer like it's is it funny that she says eat a dick to somebody to you because if so you'll think this movie's hilarious because it really just relies on you know a vagina having a funny tattoo on it oh that one being yeah. funny like it just like that's is if that's what you think raunchy is, I just think you misunderstand the assignment. If you're like vagina on screen, crazy, like it just doesn't it it it's so lazy. It is, yeah. I and but uh, which is weird because I said it telegraphs a lot of these jokes, but and, and that's one of the big problems. Like the tattoo is it's a thing that they literally bring up once, and then they constantly bring it up like within like yeah. the first the first five minutes of it being mentioned. The character outright says. I can't stop talking about it. I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep talking about it. And they're like, okay, we get it. Eventually the tattoo is going to come into play somehow. Um, and I don't yeah. know. I don't know if it would have been funnier if it came out of the blue. I don't think so. Because <laughs> some well, because jokes just not, don't work. Yeah. Because the character is the character who has the tattoo is set up to be like, she's playing as if she's a devout Christian woman. Yeah. You know, as an actor in China. And it would be funny if that were a, potentially a surprise that comes out of nowhere like this does like maybe i don't know maybe she does pretend the whole time like no no seriously i am like this i am like this and then out of the blue something like that comes up when you keep hinting at it and then show it it doesn't work we're not even talking about the setup here which is like okay well what setup do you need when the jokes are all projectile vomit drug up the butt humor it is just so ugh. it's it's four friends going to China, well, three of them going to China. One of them is already in China. The actor who's in in China and making a living there um, tr- for a business meeting that is the weirdest business meeting. I think I, I have no clue why it's it's happening. It's like, oh, you're a partner at this law firm. You need to go to China because you speak a little bit of Chinese, right? And she lies about it. She they send her to China anyway to make a deal with somebody so she can make law partner at a fir- I, none of that makes any sense. Um, then you have, which I mean, shouldn't matter, but it kind of does. Cause you're like, why is the, any of this movie happening? You have a friend coming along to translate. You have a friend in China who's going to translate. And then you have the cousin of the first friend who can also translate. All these characters feel redundant on a plot level to the point that like, oh, we get it. You just need to get this group of four very different people together to bicker and clash and to have those scenes of just, you know, yelling at each other and all that crazy stuff happening in between and them all reacting in an over-the-top manner, it feels so calculated. Yeah. It's too calculated for its own good. It just You could just sense it forcing all these jokes and forcing all these setups. And I really hate that because I like this cast. Me too. I think the cast is really good. Stephanie um, Sue is so good, and I feel like she's so let down by this material. She is, yeah. She's very funny. Ashley Park is very, very charming. Yeah. Um, Sherry Cola is playing like the you know the obvious you know like very, odd couple friend to the straight laced uh, yeah. character. Um, Sabrina Wu, I think the uh, Dead Eye that character is, I think is laughed at a bit too much. I think the movie makes a joke of that character a bit too much. Yeah. But Wu brings a lot of personality yeah. and specificity to she, that character. I'm like, they try for sure. They try. Yep. Yeah. It's, it, that's a really good performance in there. And it is really too bad. The material just lets all it's of like, them down. It's so funny. The movie's like Euro trip for the first half. And then it's like return to soul. 
Yes. Yeah. It is. Isn't that weird? I, I don't want to say it's literally, but it is literally Return to Soul, the second half. It does it's become weird. Return to Soul, which is a much better movie. And then I was yes. just left wishing. I'm like, okay, when this movie turned to the dramatic, it got better. Like that. That is not good for the comedy. For a comedy, uh, when it becomes self, it becomes very emotional and serious. I was like, this is actually more interesting than the raunchy comedy that came before it. It just very broad, predictable bits. The characterizations are not consistent. They're just there for laughs. It. It just. None of it was memorable to me. Like I saw it weeks ago and I barely remembered it. It just, I just remember it dying in the room and all of us being disappointed because it's one of those things where, what is it, South by Southwest hype? One of those things where movies get hyped up at festivals and just don't deliver. And this is a classic example. Um, it just didn't work for me. And I know it works for some people and I don't want to begrudge anybody, but it's just too, you're right. All the jokes feel like, not only obvious but telegraphed and maybe that's what it, why it didn't work um, yeah or just or nonsensical like that whole wild night in the hotel sequence oh, i dude, don't i don't the, know what that was the threesome is that the threesome scene the threesome the dance off and the the, uh, the the nice polite sex sounds flirting in the another hotel room it's like what is what is the, this the threesome scene was like a huge moment of just like this movie just doesn't have like basic believability uh like that scene is completely just unbelievable in the way it unfolds. Like you wouldn't pick up a phone in that moment. Like it's just like the whole thing unfolds. It's just like this is yeah, you're trying so hard for a laugh that it's like it it's doing the opposite, right? It's making yep. you notice how far fetched yeah. and not believable it is. Um the title doesn't make any sense either. Nope. <laughs> um I'll not say that. Um it's just unfunny non sequiturs. Like the girl making penis and vagina art that's supposed to be funny. Yeah. You're thinking about a dick right now. It's supposed to be funny. Uh, it's humor for prepubescent boys, I think. Like something the random, about it. The random yeah. music video that pops up out of nowhere. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah man. I, I was going to rate it two, but the more I talk about it, I want to rate it one and a half. But I feel like yeah. I'll just rate it two I'm, and be done. Yeah, I'm it. rating it two as well. And that's mostly <laughs> because the cast is so good at yeah, it trying makes me just, like, to do something with this. I just feel bad for everybody. I'm like, this yeah. should be good. And I, it just isn't. It just is not good. <laughs> um, I didn't like this next one either. What a transition. Uh, let's talk about the lesson. Here's the trailer. Average writers attempt originality. But the greats, great writers, steal. But your personal life seeps into your work. If you're asking whether my son's death has inspired my writing, the answer is no. I will not be writing about his death. I will be writing in spite of it. Good morning. You must be Bertie. So you're my tutor. Your father. He's the most revered writer in the country. My husband. The subject of your thesis. You're not here for him. So don't talk about his work. Don't talk about Felix. Follow those rules and you should be fine. Mark, what is the lesson? The lesson is the story of a tutor who goes to this wealthy estate owned by the most famous author in the UK. Um, and it, the author's son is trying to get into Oxford. And this tutor knows exactly how to get into Oxford because he got into Oxford. He knows all the angles. He knows all the ways that you have to talk, all the essays you have to write and the way you have to write it, all that stuff. And turns out the tutor also is like the biggest fan in the world of this author. And so he has an ulterior motive for being at the estate and taking this job. 
what it turns out to be, at least for the first two acts or so, is this very, I found it, interesting and intriguing depiction of this very overbearing, abusive patriarch of this household and all of the characters trying to navigate being in the same house as this guy, including the tutor who is, you know, basically lives out the never meet your heroes rule. Um, and is also trying to get close to the guy so he can read his, his book. Um, I'm, I was on board with this movie for the first two acts. I was like, Oh, I'm curious where this is going to go. And um, to say the third act is a letdown is an understatement. It's awful. It's a terrible third act to a movie that I otherwise was, you know, invested in. I think sure. Richard E. Grant's good here until the third act when his character suddenly turns into this entirely different person just so the plot can work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Daryl McCormick, who was really good in Here's to You, Leo Grand, he's good in this too. Um, he's you know playing the angles of trying to be like the best tutor, but also hiding his ulterior motive. And there's this other thing going on with the wife, who's played by Julie Delpy, who's who's fun here too. There's there's good stuff going on. Um, yeah, I don't know I don't know what to say. That third act is such I, a terrible miscalculation, though. Yeah, and I feel like the whole thing's entirely reliant on trying to be twisty, but like it's just twisty in that like writerly way. Where it's just kind of like leading you along to lead you astray. And it never, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm with you because I rated it two and a half and not like one and a half or two. But like, it's not a movie. I watched this two weeks ago and I don't remember it. And I, I but I, I, I like, you know, zipped through it and remembered what happened. And you're right. It does take a pretty drastic third act turn. But I feel like it had to go there because it was just spinning wheels telling you what it was doing the whole time it was being like great writers steal and here's this guy who's here and you probably think it's him that's stealing but i bet it's something different and like it just had to be something dumb like they like they came up with i just feel like it was it wasn't as well conceived as it appeared up top and yeah i don't know i don't have a lot to say i just don't remember um the experience of watching this movie very much, even though I absolutely is, fucking did. Yeah. It's very much one of those movies that you will watch and be like, Oh, okay. And then it goes by. The only Completely thing for me, it's going to be memorable. Me. It's, it's how bad that third act is. I kind of admired the fact that they set up like what's going to happen in some broad way at the start, because it, then it's like, Oh, don't pay attention to that stuff. Don't pay attention to the twisty stuff. Yeah. Pay attention to what the dynamics of this family are and how this guy fits into it and doesn't yeah. fit into it and what he's trying to actually do and how he's going to try to pull that off. I, I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm on board with this because you're telling me up front, there's something is not right. Yeah. Here. Yeah, so, I, I think I hate movies that set up themselves like this one did. Like the in media res, like writing of isn't doesn't it start with him on stage talking about the yeah. book that he wrote? Like yep. I just it just leads it just makes me upset that I know the end to what I'm about to fucking see. It takes away all the suspense for me because now you're just waiting for the shoe to drop, so to speak, and for the reveal to happen. And it just wasn't satisfying. It did, the payoff didn't satisfy. Because, no, I agree with you 100% yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. I just think it was all... Once it's revealed to be what it's doing, I think it just makes the whole thing fall flat, even if you were like into it before. You're like, oh, well, this was all a trick, and it's not very good. Um, yeah, I didn't like this very much. I'm going to leave it with two 
because I, I simply don't remember enough to go lower. Got it. Um, <laughs> a slightly more generous two and a half. There you mainly go. because, yeah. Because you were into it until it, I until was you totally. Into I mean, I love Rich, Richard watching Richard E. Grant act. It's yeah. delightful. Like it's it fun. Is. It's totally watchable. It just fe- I just felt like I was being tricked the whole time, and like I I I don't like that in a movie, or it has to be better at it than this movie was. Yeah, I didn't feel like I was being tricked until it goes out of its way to really try to trick you in what's going to happen, and uh, like okay, whatever, whatever. I didn't think we'd do that, and you're like, no, I didn't because it was stupid. Um, <laughs> exactly, that's why right. I didn't think you would do it. Yeah, yeah, not a great one, but check it out. It's uh got good at good perform good performers in it. I'll agree with that. Um, let's talk about Biosphere. This is a fucking weird one that is quite bad. I think Mark agrees. I don't know. Has your review run on this? Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, I don't no. think so. It'll, it'll be up by the time this is up. Okay. Yeah. I'm fascinated to hear what you have to think. Here's Biosphere. None of this is logical. We know that things happen that we cannot explain. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> we want fast, we want slow. What are we feeling? Uh, you pick. Okay. Look how sick he is. Oh, God, it's real. We're going to die. I can't breathe. Dude. I got to spit it out. The pond seal is solid. We're sealed in here. Wait, do you see that? This is crazy. Looks like the whole world is ending again. Unless. What? I'm going to find a way to keep us alive. What is this movie and how does it differ from Biodome? <laughs> it is. That's a good question. I don't know if I've ever seen Biodome. So that's going to be a hard wow. one. Wow. Predates MarkReviewsMovies.com. It definitely does. And yeah. I don't remember. Like 96 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Pauly Shore wasn't exactly high on my list of things to see, even though I did see a lot of his stuff, like earlier stuff. Anyway, point is, um, it is the story of two guys played by Sterling K. Brown and Mark Duplass, and they are in a biodome, a hermetically sealed container basically (laughs) just like a living uh, station um and they're apparently the last two people on earth as far as anybody as far as they can tell there was some sort of horrific event or events that led to the end of the world uh it turns out that duplass's character and this is all i'm going to say about duplass's character beyond just broad (laughs) characterizations he was president of the united states mark it's so i know i know it's it is so That's fucking stupid. I, I know. I get it. I get it. I get it. He was the president of the United States, and Sterling K. Brown's character was an advisor to him who secretly budgeted and constructed and organized and figured out this whole biodome project, this biosphere project, just for him and his best friend slash the president to live in um, after the world ends. Okay. So, okay. You got to accept a lot of things. You got to accept a lot of things for this for this movie to get well, to where it's going. Well, I think the movie does no it does you no favors. I don't know if it's the casting of Mark Duplass or the fact that he's just doing Mark Duplass and not doing some sort of like presidential performance. It's just Mark Duplass doing any sort of Mark Duplass mumblecore character and 
it is just not for a second believable that he was once the president of the United States. If I called him, if I instead called him Mark W. Duplass, would that change your mind on the fiction of the character? It would have done a yes. Yes, that's that was kind of the the vibe I was getting from his character is like accidentally fell into becoming president yes. despite having yes. no qualifications. That's what they're no going past. for. Yeah, I yes. think that's it. Okay, here's okay, okay. <laughs> There's a big thing that happens in this movie that I don't want to reveal. I don't think we can okay. reveal it because it changes. Everything that this movie is about, it changes the entire dynamic of this relationship. It turns the entire thing into more than just best friends in a bio in a biodome trying to survive the apocalypse and figure out what's going on into this entirely other thing about identity and evolution and yeah. all of this other stuff. And I'm going to say I admired the fact that it took those big, big, big thematic swings and be very, very, very disappointed that it had clearly had no clue what to do with that. Yeah. Um, this movie yeah. has no idea what to do with any of its million things it talks about. It just feels like a, it's a classic mumblecore movie to me, where it's just a couple of dudes talking. But this one has like an indie lo-fi sci-fi feel to it. But it's just a mumblecore movie with the sci-fi dressing on it. And the... I want to talk about it so bad because I know because it's also I don't want to say it's stupid, but the movie goes about. I don't think the movie does the premise justice. Do you? I do not. No, I think it turns because Brown's character. There's oh my god. Should we just should we just say it and like big spoiler tag right here? Big spoiler tag right here for Biosphere. It will give away the most interesting element of the movie. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler. So so. The last male fish in their fish tank dies, and then one of no, the last female fish dies, and then one of the males undergoes a evolutionary a, a immediate evolutionary change to become female. Mark Duplass's character undergoes the exact same thing. It is an immediate; he starts to change from male to female, anatomically, biologically, all of that. Yeah, um, and that's it. And then it becomes about like, oh, well, how are we going to deal with these changes? There's a there's an obvious endpoint here that the movie is going to get to. And I found it completely unbelievable that Brown's character did not immediately think that that was going to be the endpoint. Like, this is something yeah. that's got to come up. This is a conversation that needs to be had. And instead, that whole scene of the uh, the inevitability of that change yeah. turns into a gag. And it doesn't work. Yes. Because... the <laughs> There's exactly a lot right. going on here up until then, and I found it. I found it at least like you're you're putting some consideration into what would it be like if these two best friends under one of them underwent such a drastic change, and you have to adjust and adapt that relationship to that situation. I was I was I was curious about where it was going to go, and then I was really let down by the fact that it clearly, 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 no clue what to do with it. It's, Didn't it remind it, you? I'm sure you. This might be re- a movie reviewed on MarkReviewsMovies.com. Hump Day. 2009 may boo um yeah. it was the lynn shelton movie actually but i think it was written by duplass and he's in it and it's a movie about i think a guy who decides him and his buddy wall stone decide <sighs> that they should fuck each other on camera or something okay i did <laughs> review it but i do remember seeing it yeah yeah i didn't review it but, so yeah. like it's just very similar to me where it's like these are two movies that are like lo-fi mumblecore movies about masculinity and like what it means to be a man and like male friendships 
And I think there's, an, I think the premise here, as I said, is such a unique, interesting one that I feel you're right. They bungle the execution, right? It just doesn't take it seriously enough or something. Like, I think it's interesting and I wish they were more earnest about the premise rather than making a joke out of it, I guess. But I don't know. I'm, I want this to be a good movie because I think it's a cool idea, but it definitely just feels like underbaked, good performances, but there's just like, they didn't think the full thing through uh, one of those movies. It just, it, it's underwhelming. Even if the premise has such fucking promise to it, it really feels like it was like a, you know, a few drafts away from being good, but this one oh, is yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Especially all that stuff about the bowling ball and faith and just oh. counting all that. It comes on. That's clearly just a cop out metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> it's annoying. It also, yeah, it, it feels like it climaxes early and then like just kind of fizzles also. Um, yeah. yeah, I didn't like it at all. I'm one and a half on Biosphere. Okay. Slightly stronger two, but I mean, compared to you, it's a low end two. Good. I'll take C it. C minus ish. I'm going to just throw out random different grades. Yeah, let's, I love it. Clarify. C minus. Uh, throw out like, you know, do the Nerdist system. We can say like two, two burritos out of five or whatever. We'll, yeah. we'll do anything. Um, let's jump to a documentary called The League. And it's not the Mark Duplass starring FX show. It is a documentary about the Negro Baseball Leagues. Is that what it was called? Yeah, I the Negro that is correct. Leagues. Yeah. The Negro Leagues. But they called it The League back then. Here you go. Negro Leagues Baseball was so popular that black churches would move their service time up an hour so fans could go to the game. If you know anything about the black church, you'll mess with service time. There were African-American professional ball players in the 19th century. But segregation starts to tighten its hold. Well, what do you do? We can do this on our own. A few entrepreneurs see that a black club can be a successful business. Roof. Ah, racism. As American a pastime as baseball. Mark, what is this movie and why did we both like it? It's, um, it is a documentary. I'm going to say the leagues historically, the Negro leagues, but I'm going to just say the leagues just to avoid any kind of complications here. The leagues. Um, it, it's just a story of that and it's, it's rise and it's eventual fall as integration in professional baseball started to happen. Um, but yeah, what I really admired about this is it is not just the history of baseball. It's the history of the United States from basically post reconstruction up until, you know, just before the civil rights movement. And I love that concept that like you are taking this, this little, this little, this little community of, you know, professional sports that's going on and all these different groups and famous people who eventually move on and all these different personalities who are owners and managers and these team rivalries and everything. But it's just within this grand scope of injustice and a community coming together to do something on their own and to prove that it can be done. I just, I, I was genuinely inspired by it. I was yeah. surprised to learn that like there are these different angles of like what happened when major league baseball was integrated and what did that mean to players that we didn't hear about players who weren't named Jackie Robinson players who weren't yeah. named Satchel page or Hank Aaron. What about those other players? What happened to them? 
Uh, what happened to the managers? Where did these managers come from? There's this one, there's a woman who managed the team and she started off like as this social activist leading yeah. this successful boycott in Harlem. And she turned into like, like the, I believe the first and only woman who's in the baseball hall of fame. That's it's, right. There's all these little trivia tidbits, but it never loses sight of that bigger picture of the United States during this era and what it meant to everybody, especially to, you know, to the black diaspora of the country. It's, it's yeah. really impressive work. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's it's, where I'm at with it. As far as a documentary, you know, style goes, it uses like archival footage, interviews, animation, clips, uh, dramatizations. It's all, it's like a unique mix and they all come together very well. Um, yeah. I thought this was also very in, like inspiring, but also just informative. Like it's one of those things where like, I feel like being on Twitter, you learn about like black culture and how black culture precedes regular culture almost always. Like if a, if a trend on Twitter happens, it definitely starts on black Twitter and then we all take it and make our, make the meme our own. But like so many iconic things start in the black community and then go on from there. And I was in, amazed to see that that exact logic applies to the MLB and like the Negro leagues being ahead of their time for like the way the game was played, the pacing and like the web gem style top 10 plays and like the ba- uh, uh, stealing bases and bunting and shit. Just like the, the game was played. So I would imagine uh, I don't know, prim and proper at one point in time. Well, they talk. They talk about it. It's like yeah. you you swing for the fences. That was Babe Ruth style, and that's what the game became. And yes. in, in Major League Baseball, and yeah, that's it. Does do that comparison of yeah, yeah. It's just so amazing to see that black culture has always just like preceded regular culture. It all it leads into it. They are the the pioneers of of many movements. And yeah, the movie does a great job of exploring all of this. Also, like. Those Negro leagues, the three or four games a day, and they had no, and they yeah. couldn't, they couldn't stay at the hotels in the town they were playing because of racism. They couldn't eat at the restaurants, just like the shit these people endured to like play the fucking game. It's 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 stunning, um, and yeah, it's a really impressive movie and uh, informative and important. You should definitely see it. Check out the league. I believe it's what limited limited release right now. I think it's AMC theaters right now. I think that's its release plan. That's cool. That's wide. That's pretty wide. So if yeah. you're if you're near an AMC, go check out the league. Or you know, it's a documentary. You can wait for it at home. Not to be rude <laughs> to the documentaries on the big screen. I think you should support it also. I uh, mean, if you want to see like actual archival footage of these players, yeah. it's like you know that's it look, it's, a good, it's a good looking movie. Screen. Yeah, it's yeah, a good looking movie. It is. Uh, three out of four for me. Ut- utmost respect for the league. Good movie. Yep. Three out of four for me too. Uh, now let's the movie we have no respect for, The Outlaws on Netflix. I don't know about Mark. I haven't read his yet. I'm assuming. Uh, I can assume how Mark feels about this one. I watched the fucking thing. Uh, here is the trailer for The Outlaws. My parents just emailed that they're coming to our wedding. Oh, I get to meet your parents finally. Are you psyched? You're not psyched. Are you psyched at all? Is there any psych happening? Sitting on top of the world, I'm up. You haven't met this woman parents yet. They've been off the grid the whole time we've been together. What's going down? Baby, what's up? Hey! Billy and Lily McDermott. Meet my parents. Pleasure to meet you, Neil. You're very attractive. Oh, thank you. That's not a compliment. For me, it's too much. Let it out. 
think you deserve something better than that pasty little goober. Dad, just give him a chance. Well, what does a bank manager do? I manage all the security. It's the best. Let's just pray we have a nice, chill day. I think your parents are on my bank. You can't be serious. They knew the voice activation code to get in the vault, which I'm pretty sure I told your mom about when I was wasted. She left me roses by the stairs. Thank you for your cooperation. Good Blink-182 joke. Maybe the only one I laughed at in the movie. It's not funny. No. Is that it? Are we done? I think we're done. No, <laughs> I think we get into the specifics. Um, it really makes you appreciate a movie like Joyride. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's some effort in Joyride. At least, like that—that that was a little bit too much effort. This is none at all. Um, yeah, I don't know where to start. Adam Devine. I don't know. I, is the jury still out on him as a leading man, or is this like well? This I mean, because... we're all still like you know we're living in a world that Jexy built, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, we all quote Jexy all the time. Yeah, I think Adam Devine's status as a leading man is is play. It's like the Mount Rushmore of leading men is like Chris Pratt, uh, Liam Hemsworth, or Chris Hemsworth, Tom Cruise, and there he is. He's there right he there, is, screaming his way through this movie. Adam Devine, in a, one of in the three way, workaholics. His scream should be outlawed by the Geneva Convention. It is. So awful. It's piercing. He and screams annoying. a lot. He screams a lot in this movie. And um through a lot of I don't dislike the guy, but I didn't like this movie. I don't I mean I don't I'm like I said, I'm the jury's still out on him for me, but I, I I haven't seen anything that really is like, oh okay, there I get the appeal of what he could be doing here. Meanwhile, you have people like Richard Kind and Julie Haggerty being really They made me laugh a couple times. They made me laugh quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. Um um, Pierce Brosnan obviously is, you know, just uh, just fantastic as himself, basically. Yeah. Um, and then Ellen Barkin, like Nina Dobrev, like Julie Haggerty, unfortunately, this movie has a very odd relationship with women in that it just kind of shoves them off to the side, unless it's Lauren Lapkus playing the most obnoxious character I think I've seen in a while. Yes. In such a way that I kind of wish she had been shoved off to the side too, because it's like, oh. I guess this movie just doesn't like women because they're either just not involved in the plot except to be abducted or to be a wife to the more charming guy or, you know, to be annoying as hell. Um, I don't think we explained the nuance of the title to our audience. I think we should. No, I don't think we did. It's called The Outlaws, but it, there's a dash in between out and laws because they're his in-laws. But they're in his, they're, his in-laws are outlaws. Did you get that? I got that. Yes. Okay. Um, I just had to check. It was a little confusing because um, <laughs> I feel like there's oh, 1,500 God. movies called The Outlaws, so they did a good job there are, of differentiating none of, yeah, it. None of them have the hyphen in there. Yeah, they did so a great job. They fucking job. nailed that. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot to say. Ellen Barkin's in this, and she doesn't get to do anything. You're right. It's sad. Yep. Pierce Brosnan does get to do stuff, and it's equally sad. That's, yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem um, with it. It just sucks, man. It's like a you know, it's these movies. Would you even call this an action comedy or like it's trying to be? Right? Oh, it only becomes an action comedy during that. Like what? Like two sequences. And one yeah. of them is like very gory out of the blue that just completely ruins any kind of comedy. I think that could come out of it. And then there's the chase, to the cemetery, which just was like, what are you? 
This, yeah, this it's like, like it's I don't funny. know what these movies are doing when they're like trying to get me. Ex- I've said this before, but like when a movie of this level tries to like do an action scene, I just like tune out because I'm like, you're not going to wow me with some John Wick style practical stunt. This is just like superfluous. So like either do a gag or fucking move on. Right. Like I just don't care about I hate I just hate it. I think I don't like action comedies. I think at one point in time when there was like, I don't know. When like you know who was in the, who was in those like Martin Lawrence like a national security <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, um, like an, yeah they're like there used to be like a they used to be good I guess I don't know maybe I'm just romanticizing movies from my youth but national security wasn't a great pull no it was that was a weird one to go to <laughs> like you could have gone with the Rush Hour movies you could have gone with <laughs> Shanghai Nights um I just think two Jackie Chan franchises so there you oh go my god that's so funny that i went like where the fuck did i why is that why that one if you had to go with martin lawrence too because it said the first bad boys that would have been a good there's pick. so many better martin lawrence ones <laughs> you know? oh my god all right i've lost the plot but uh outlaws one of those you know rare netflixes i make the time for and i wish i hadn't it was bad it was what i expect of a netflix movie is this what you expect of a netflix movie about i don't know what point? i expect to, i yeah uh, right now i don't know what I expect of a Netflix movie and that's good. I mean, that's good for their branding. Cause it's like, Oh, okay. You could do something, um, you know, very worthwhile that you picked up at a festival and, um, you could, yeah, produce no, this stuff. You know, it's funny. Netflix never did like a, well, when we buy a movie from a festival, we call it like Netflix selects. And then when we do an original, it's just a Netflix original. There's no differentiation. It's just yeah. all Netflix originals, even if it's not. And it, you're right. It makes it hard to, tell what the what their thing is but for me i generally avoid them because they're low rent and the only one i've enjoyed recently and i obviously haven't seen that many because i just reject them but extraction 2 felt like better than most fair but it was still just fine but uh yeah extraction 2 you could see like having an excuse to be in every multiplex in the country at some point this one this one too this would be in every multiplex in the country for a week um, and then it would. You want to check the box office stats on Jexy? That's pretty brutal. I imagine I had to see that opening night, if I remember correctly, because uh, yeah. over under ten million worldwide. What do you think? Under. You're right. It's under. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was an easy one. You should have said five or something. That <laughs> would have been stretching. <laughs> uh, under five domestic or uh, over? Ooh, under. Um. Ooh. <laughs> It was under 10 worldwide, but that's not going to have worldwide. I can say over five domestic. Mark, you nailed it. It got 6.5 domestic. Mm. You're the box office whiz. We got to do a box office show. Of Adam Devine. Specifically Adam Devine. What else has he been in? I don't think anything. What was Zac Efron? Oh, the Mike and Dave? Yeah, is he, is he one of he's Mike and Dave? I think he was, wasn't he? He's one of them. Yeah, I think you're right. I never saw that either, but I heard Aubrey Plaza was fun in that movie. That's yeah. the That's the rumor. That is At the least. rumor. I saw it and I remember that. <laughs> Good. And it had Anna Kendrick in it. That's right. That's so right. Was, People like that movie. Yeah. yeah, I gotta check that one out. Belated. That was not a good movie though. <laughs> we've lost the plot. Uh, we have, we have the lost. Outlaws. I don't know. One star. Who cares? Yeah, one star sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This was the best review we've ever given. Um, all right. Now, as promised, uh, we teased you with the info. We're going to talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 right now. Here's a trailer. Our lives are the sum of our choices. And 
we cannot escape the past. Ethan, this mission of yours is gonna cost you dearly. The world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. It's been a long time, Brandon. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Definitely one of, if not the most anticipated movie of the summer for me. And I know for Mark, it really delivered. So I'll let Mark take the lead with Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. A two-hour and 43-minute extravaganza. That feels like it's gonna. it goes by in like an hour, 45 minutes, and I was ready to sit through an intermission to finish up with Part 2 immediately. Wow. Um, I really, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this one. I think this is one of the best of the series. Wow. Um, I really, really do. I think it's up I there. I really, the, the first, first thing one. I said in my review or my little log on Letterboxd was it's not going to be anybody's favorite. <laughs> so it's interesting that you think that. I'm it's one of my favorites. Yeah. It's okay. one of my favorites for okay. sure. Um, interesting. So it has Tom Cruise returning as Ethan Hunt, and this time he has to stop this. Um, nefarious AI program. The Entity. The Entity, um, which is just a fantastic idea for a villain, and I think the execution of the villain is great, too. That's one of the things I really, really appreciate about this movie. A lot of these villains in the Mission Impossible franchise have been disposable. Um, they're you know warlords, they're double agents, they're whatever. They're arms dealers, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, of, who's actually probably the second best villain in the yeah. series, maybe. Yep. yep. But maybe one, I would say the best. Who's your favorite? The AI? Um, no, still probably PS PSH. Oh yeah. PSH uh, but, is number but one. But this yeah. is up there. This is yeah. and this is a unique one too. I mean, like I I would bought into the whole conceit of this AI, especially just because we're talking about it all the time now. We're talking about well, AI all the time. Yes. And also there's the element of like this movie to me is most interesting as a metatextual reading of this movie is Tom Cruise versus streaming and the algorithm. And I love <laughs> You're that. right. Yo, it isn't because it is an algorithm. It's just predicting the future through, you know, algorithmic programming and all that stuff. However it works. Hundred percent. You don't need to understand it. Just no. it's well, it's everywhere and nowhere all at once, which is such a great idea for a villain. So and good. it knows what you're gonna do before you do it. And I love yeah, I also love the villain in this movie because it's AI that has determined because it's AI and knows everything that Ethan Hunt is its biggest problem. Yeah. It's like the AI knows, well, there's one guy in the world who fucks shit up and his name's Ethan Hunt. Yeah, and he's gonna get me. So I should get a, I should be one step ahead of him and try to kill him. And that's yep. what the movie is. And, and that's awesome. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. So Ethan Hunt is trying to track down the second half of a key that will unlock the entity's programming somewhere. We know where, uh, but he doesn't. And that leads to a worldwide chase um, with, I I mean, I, I can't even, I, I don't know how much I want to describe these action sequences, except to say there is a bit of espionage in an airport in Dubai, yes. I believe. Love that. That is just aces, like all over the place. The timing, the choreography of it, and there's no like action. There's no punching or fighting like, or shooting. It's like it's yeah, just heist movie shit. It yeah. is classic spy craft. Yeah, exactly. Just happening all over this airport. Um, 
just I believe just, they even resurrect the close-up magic that I enjoyed so do. much yes. about the original Mission Impossible, which I have to say, just up top, is my far and away my favorite. I know I'm an outlier in this fr- franchise because everyone thinks it's like Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, Fallout. They cite those as like the best because, of course, the iconic stunts and stuff. But I mean, nothing's better than the De Palma original for me. It's I agree. One of the best 100%. movies of all time. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you that De Palma's original is the best of them. And I, I do really like that this one brings back that spy craft, spy game stuff happening because and it, I think it lost track of it. The series lost track of the spy stuff, and it comes it back with a vengeance here. And I really appreciate that. There's the airport sequence. There's a chase in um, um, Venice. That feels like a, you know Christopher McQuarrie, who's once again directing this. He shoots it like a film noir with all the Dutch angles and the shadows and overwhelming yeah. everything. Every sequence in here just works on its own and as a whole to give you this just experience of a spy movie and an action movie. There's a chase, a car chase sequence in Rome that I'm pretty confident he orchestrated to kill off the entire concept of a car chase because how could you possibly top this thing? Yeah. It's, it's um, great. That chase scene yeah. is really great. He's handcuffed to Haley Atwell the whole time. Yeah. Handcuffed to Haley Atwell. <laughs> um, there are multiple vehicles chasing after them. They're chasing after a couple of vehicles. They change vehicles at different points. There's a flip that does this really subtle comic bit that's like straight out of like a silent comedy. You would not, you'd like, like, wait, how did that happen? Oh, it doesn't matter how it happened because yeah. now the stakes are completely different. The driver is completely different. The car is completely different. You just got to figure out like, how are we going to get out of this situation? Yeah. Just, I, I, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine a car chase being ever better than this, unless there's a car chase in the next one that McCory is saving something up his sleeve to surprise us with. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all on board with this movie completely enraptured with all the action. Um, Love everything that it's doing with the characters. All the characters come back. Simon Pegg's back. Fing Rames is back. Um, Rebecca Ferguson is back. You have some new characters, too, that all fit in. Haley Atwell is really good here as this thief who just gets caught up in everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm just I'm lavishing it with praise because I was just I just completely it delivers, blown over by everything. Yeah. It delivers everything you could you want out of a blockbuster like this. Um, I don't want to be the negative voice because oh no, I, <laughs> I, I I I I had a great time. I thought it was a blast. I I would I don't want to. Uh, I hesitate I hesitate to say I loved it. I think I really liked it. I just think it's definitely needlessly long and feels it. I felt it was tedious in a way that. It didn't need to be where it's like, okay, this does feel like a movie that was maybe one and then they chopped it up into two and added some stuff because they needed to. And I did feel like it's very talky. They say the word the entity probably 150 times. It just gets a little talky about like MacGuffin stuff, which I think it just kind of loses the plot a little when it does that. But I mean, it's hard to complain when this movie just keeps in, in between that it's delivering the best action spectacle you've you've seen and like these movies if there's any enemy of these movies it's the it's the past movies in these franchises because they have to outdo themselves and i I don't quite know if anything in this movie outdoes at least from like a cinematic what i enjoyed watching standpoint like the dubai sequence in brad bird's ghost protocol i rewatched all of these and that one still stands out to this day as like just the high watermark for what these movies can be and what that what a Tom Cruise stunt can add to a movie and shit like that. And I think there's, 
I mean, Tom Cruise drives a motorcycle off of a cliff for real in this movie. Like, of course, I I praise him and I appreciate his death-defying stunts. Um, by the way, did you also? I feel like if you're doing the metatextual zoom out and you're like, this movie is about Tom Cruise versus the algorithm and staking up, you know, saving the future of movies. He literally drives a a, a motorcycle off like the Paramount Cliff. The Paramount Mountain. Oh yeah, that is that does look very much like that. Doesn't it looks it? exactly like that, and I feel like I couldn't help but feel like he did this on purpose. He's doing. He really does think he's the hero of movies, and he is positioning himself to say, "Fuck the streaming, fuck the algorithm. You need to go to the movies to see me drive a fucking motorcycle off the Paramount logo. You got to do it. Like it's the only way to see it." Um, so I appreciate it, and I'm not going to harp too much on what I, what my little complaints. But this isn't even the movie's fault, maybe, or maybe it is. I feel like these movies were once the only show in town as far as blockbuster action spectacles go with like real stunts. And while I'm not saying we're living in the shadow of like Fast and the Furious movies having stunts and also tons of CGI though, and John Wick, which doesn't have a lot of CGI and there's tons of actual practical stunts. But this movie felt a little influenced by those movies to me. Uh, And I think John Wick 4 unexpectedly may beat this movie for me this year in terms of like action movies with stunts and practical action, whatever you want to call it. It's a different flavor, right? Like John wick is more, the practicality is there's a million choreographed fights happening. Right. But like, they also do the arc of the confident, what the arc to try, whatever the, the thing arc that's also triumph. in this movie, yeah. the arc to triumph. But yeah. Yeah. Like they do do stunts and I was stunned at those. And I don't want to say, wick four eats this movie's lunch or anything i think they can both exist it's just there's like i would be lying if i said there wasn't like a been there done that quality for me to some of this maybe just because fast x so recently was in rome and i'm not saying fast x did rome better i think i was an impossible it did, it did of, of course it did. Well, yeah it did. impossible did rome a million times better i will acknowledge that i'm just saying bad timing or whatever the fuck you want to call it and John Wick for stunning in a lot of the same real locations here, or at least one of the same real locations here. It's just like, I think it's great all three exist, but there's some sort of magic lost for me. It's hard to just stand out in a crowd. And it, 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 I don't know if it's hard to stand out in a crowd or more that it's hard to top yourself when the back catalog of these movies are all just so good. But I'll let you talk in one sec. Yeah, no, no worries. No <laughs> I'll worries. take this series is diminishing returns which is still a three arguably three and a half star movie over any other franchise's best entry like i think these movies are awesome and i love them so much um what do you have to say to all that what i was gonna say is like for me oh uh i have a couple of thoughts there so yeah you know, like the 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 burj khalifa sequence in ghost protocol is you know, like top tier yeah filmmaking i think in general that stunt is amazing that series of stunts I don't think there's anything, I mean, very little is ever going to top that sequence in general, yeah. but there's more bang for your buck in this film than there is in Ghost Protocol. Because That's probably there are sure. multiple, there, nothing hits that level, but there are so many things that come close to that level or on a different oh, type of sequence. We haven't even sequence. mentioned the yeah. train. Yeah. We didn't mention the train. And this yeah. is, this is my next part is that the whole thing of like, you know, all of the influences. This movie wears its influences directly yes. on its sleeve. Yes. It is harking back to all of the previous films. The The sequence on the train is basically yep. the same the as movie. In the first Mission Impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that scene in that. And I love Me the too. scene in this. And it's doing a lot of other stuff. But not only that, I talked about the film noir elements of that one chase. 
but I mean, just to have the entire climax take place on the Orient Express goes back to From Russia with Love, which yes. has an entire sequence on that, which is yes. all spycraft, yes. just like this one is. Yes, it's very much um, influenced not only by itself but by everything that has come before it in the spy genre and the action genre. And McQuarrie yeah. knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows yeah, how to I don't handle disagree. that. Yeah, and that's for me. That's why this is up there with the best of the series because I didn't, I didn't feel that stuff with the exposition. I, think, I was uh, always waiting for, and I was in. Yeah. I still like these characters a lot too. There's also something about to my point about just Wick and Fast X and whatever. I think something that's new to these, or it's not new to these movies, but it's more noticeable in this one was, you know, they do use CGI in this. Like it's no to me, it's mo- way more noticeable how much like CGI is in this than like the last few, and I feel like just a, mo- a modern movie problem. Twenty twenty three, everything needs visual effects. They're not going to look as good as they once did. There's a crunch, blah blah blah. But it did again. I think it's unfair of me to even discuss it because the movie is doing so many incredible, actual, practical work, and this is what this is what CGI should be used for to make actual stunts look a little better you know but like i don't know the some of that train stuff looked a little dodgy to me in a way that these movies haven't before but i appreciate them going for big crazy shit too so like i'm not going to complain about it i just think it is interesting to me that it does feel like it's getting a little more fast xy and uh with things in that regard but i don't know if that's a a smart a, 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 an interesting observation or not um I really, really like this movie. I think I just j- fell just shy of loving it on a series rewatch. One of the reasons why, Mark, that that main villain doesn't make any impression whatsoever. It's like they, they cut out all of his shit or saved it for the sequel. The S.I. Morales villain, mm-hmm. he just doesn't get... He makes no impression in this. Oh, and, he made an impression on me because he is oh, really? an agent of the AI. That was what it was, by extension. And sure. I, I hope, okay. I imagine that this personal stuff between him and Ethan is going to get flushed out in part that, two. That was definitely a retcon, right? I'm not crazy to feel like they're like, oh, there's another past. Uh, this guy's the most from Ethan Hunt's past. Uh, he goes for the furthest back and is the furthest revenge point. Yeah, because yeah. I, that's the other thing is I do also kind of feel like this. It's not a direct reboot or reset of the series, but it is. You know, it does feel like it, it stands back on its to the own. Beginning. Yes, yeah, I you agree. could watch one and this one, and pretty much be set for the most part. Uh, but you, you should know, never do that. You should never do that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it is yes. like its own thing right now. It's trying to be its own thing, its own isolated story. And I like that because part of the problem with the past, what three maybe, no, past two, whatever. Yeah. they're trying to carry over that one villain, the arms dealer guy. I think right. You saw more recently that one dude that they have to rescue out of the truck. Um, Sorry, say what's again. His name? The yeah. guy that they have to rescue out of the armored truck. They, um, the because he's the villain in the fifth one and the sixth one, or at least. Oh yeah, yeah, one. yeah. The guy, God, what's his fucking name? Why can't I remember it? I he's, can't remember either. That's what I'm saying. The villain, yeah. at least, you're not going to forget. Oh, in this one, in this one, he he has to battle wits against a uh, all knowing AI. Yeah, not going to forget that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's awesome. I think that part's awesome. I mean, it's hard to talk negative about a movie that will end up being a highlight of the summer either way. Like, uh, definitely go see it in like a Dolby screen or an IMAX. It has like the loudest fucking track you've ever heard. It looks great. Um, Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I I, I assure you, I'm not down on this movie. I just I know you're not. I'm such a fan of the series 
that like to me this isn't even this isn't like I don't think this is top three or anything, but like the fact that it's not and still this great just shows you how above every other franchise this franchise is. Like I just think it's batting on another level than even the other movies I mentioned. Although I don't know, man, John Wick Four was another like this level of action for me, um, and I don't know if you agree on that. Um. Yeah. I mean, we talked in depth about that. I had that one for me felt like at three hours that was pushing the limits of what it could do. This one didn't at two hours and 43 minutes. I just, like I said, I was ready for the next part immediately after like 15 minutes of a break. But yeah, we would take an intermission, of course. Yeah. But yeah, Dead Reckoning part two. Um, We don't have a, it hasn't like shot. I mean, it's not done i thought or, they i thought they were shooting them simultaneously or at least back to back to i think this and, just ended up being the calamity of like covid shoot whatever happened this movie ended up costing 300 million dollars i would love to find out that they actually shot the other one but i don't know i i'm not sure um hopefully we find out in a year or so yeah that's, i hope so. so so you're three and a half i am three and a half on this i love that and where where does it rank for you spot um, ranking probably Two or three. I'm a big fan of Mission Impossible Three, which is a very controversial take. Me to too. Have. I I oh, think it's okay. great. Okay. Um, I I've always liked it, and on a rewatch, I on a rewatch I liked. I think I liked two more than I ever have. Uh, I never really liked two until now, and now I've I really had zero interest in revisiting it. And now I'm probably going to have to. Yeah, I think it's really interesting for a lot of reasons. I think it looks great. It's just really like hot. It's like a sexy movie. No one has shot cleavage the way uh, John Woo shoots that like that one scene with uh, Tandy Newton and Tom Cruise in the in the bathtub. It is just wild. Um, yeah, man, I thought that movie's great. Mission Impossible Three uh bph is an all-time villain that movie yep. just fucking moves dude that movie yeah, is does. like under two hours i think and it just delivers i remember seeing that at the mall the day it came out and having like a that probably was the first one i saw uh honestly uh when i was fucking 15 and then probably became hugely into the rest of them uh yeah so i've always had a soft spot for three but yeah if i'm doing a spot ranking it's probably four for me just because that burj Khalifa really stands out and isn't there's there's other great stuff in there but i don't really remember other things but that but yeah i think i think gross protocol fallout rogue nation in that order probably oh i forgot the new one you forgot the first one well the first one's just far and away number one <laughs> i just can't rank them i guess i've what i would have learned is i like them all too much and like the first one is far and away my favorite because it's like a De Palma movie about artifice and move like, you know, the opening yeah. scene where it's like the fake staging of a thing. It's just like, yep. this is the most De Palma should have ever seen. I can't believe De Palma made a blockbuster at the scale and everyone loves it. And it started a franchise. Nothing would be cooler than me than De Palma coming back to end this end the franchise, but literally will never happen. happen but it literally will never happen for like 15 reasons. Uh, but yeah, crazy. Um, yeah. My ranking was silly. I'm not even going to attempt to actually do it. I just think it's right up. It's right in the middle there with like uh, uh, Fallout and Rogue Nation, which like on any other list, what's you know, it's just crazy to me that, that that's the quality. I'm like ranking it low and saying it's between these great movies. So take it with a grain of salt. All my criticism. It's a lot of fun. It delivers what you want. See it big and see it loud. Three stars. But, okay. I was about to say, you got to give the star rating there. I yeah. Rate. Three, cool. three Tom Cruise jumps off the Paramount logo out of four. I can't believe he fights the algorithm for us, for cinema. Thank you, Tom. Um, that was it. This was the week of July 7th with the preview for next week of July. 
uh, what, 14th? Ooh. Or July 12th, actually. Is oh, yeah. I guess we should say what? Mission Impossible technically comes out Monday the 10th? Oh, yeah. You know at what? Like 7 o'clock. I forgot it's... about this. Because I'm 99% sure this is why it happened, Mark, and I'm sure you'll, you'll agree. Oppenheimer stole all the IMAX screens yep. from Mission Impossible. Like, when it comes out, it's just taking them. So, Mission Impossible can't add time on the far end, so they have to move the basically move the movie release up from Friday to Monday now, so people can more people can see it in IMAX. So I believe Mark's right. I think IMAX screenings start on Monday, uh, the Monday after this podcast comes out on Friday. What what's the date? The tenth or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, that must yeah. be the tenth. So yeah, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Definitely see it in IMAX as soon as you can if you're able, because it will be gone when Oppenheimer comes out. Maybe it'll come back at the end of the summer if it's like a Top Gun style hit, but don't count on it because who knows these days? It's tough. Um, thanks for listening. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And this episode, just so you know, if you're listening right when it comes out, it was finished recording minutes ago. This is going up right at midnight. It's incredible. Oh, uh, actually, I think we got to talk about that real quick. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, embargo. Stuff, embargo. Maybe. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. great. We'll talk about that off air. Bye. The show starts in one...
Jalan Sar. Shut up. Ush. <laughs>